is Jesus? Or to make it a little more personal, who do you perceive Jesus to be? When it comes to Jesus, there are no shortage of opinions. If you ask someone at school or work or just in the neighborhood who they think Jesus is, they're going to give you likely some kind of an answer. Based on a recent study, 52% of Americans are going to tell you that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Others might tell you he was a dangerous teacher. In fact, it seems like the only people without an opinion of Jesus are the ones who have never heard of him in the first place. In our Western context, that number is few, but it is surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, it's steadily increasing. You know, it's interesting to look through uh, people or, or look at how groups of people and individuals have perceived Jesus throughout history. To many of the Jews in the first century, Jesus was a blasphemer, deserving of death. To the Romans, he was a troublemaker. Others have been intrigued, even strangely drawn to him. Albert Einstein said, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Many have twisted the person and the teachings of Jesus to serve their own purposes, even their own political agendas. Former president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, called Jesus the first socialist in an effort to support his political agenda. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist scientist, he said, I suspect that if Jesus had the knowledge we had today, he probably would have been an atheist. And he probably would have been a good man. Who is Jesus? Well, I guess that depends on who you ask. Today, we're beginning our study in the book of John. And in the coming months, we're going to let the Apostle John, who wrote this book, we're going to let the Lord Jesus himself tell us who he is. Friends, we cannot afford to be indifferent when it comes to the question, who is Jesus? Eternal life and eternal death is on the line. So throughout his gospel, what John is doing, he wants to give us a proper understanding of Jesus. Now, I think I should mention right here at the beginning that John's purpose in writing this book is not simply belief. That's only a part of what John is trying to do. John hopes that by believing in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that you may have, that we may have life. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1 this morning, but real quick, flip over towards the end. Turn over to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Have you, have you ever watched a movie or maybe read a book and you find out at the end that something really important happened that changes your entire perspective of watching the movie or the way that you read the book? 
this is a spoiler alert. This movie came out in 1999, so if you haven't seen it by now, that's on you. But an example that comes to my mind is the movie The Sixth Sense. When I found out that Bruce Willis was actually dead the entire time, I wanted to go back and look for clues that show me that he was actually dead. When we know the end of a movie like that, it changes how we watch it. So I, I want to show you the end and the aim of John's gospel before we begin, because I think it's going to help you understand, maybe in a fuller way, right from the beginning, what John is doing. Let me read John 20, verses 30 to 31. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to see Jesus for who he is and to find life. In his name. Christian, are you struggling to believe today? Does your faith feel like it is on sinking sand? Then the gospel of John is for you. Maybe you're a Christian who is secure in your faith. Maybe you've studied the gospel of John many times in your life. My hope for you is that your heart will be stirred to worship as we see Jesus on every page of this gospel. Perhaps you're a skeptic when it comes to the claims of Christianity. And today, you are here with questions. Well, instead of turning to YouTube or TikTok videos, let's look at an original source from an eyewitness. At one point, let me remind you, at one point, John had questions himself. He wasn't always sure who this, this Jesus was and is, but as he walked with Jesus, as he came face to face with his teaching, he saw Jesus for who he truly is. And that's my hope for all of us. As we study this book together, let's see Jesus for who he actually is. Now, the Gospel of John is one of four Gospels that we have in the New Testament. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke come before John in our Bibles. And John was the last Gospel to be written. By the way, the word Gospel, it, it means good news. So when we say the Gospel of John, what we're referring to is the good news that John has written about, the good news that John has given us. And this good news is the news that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. We're going to see that right in the first five verses that we're going to look at today. So let's read our text again, and then with the Lord's help, we'll unpack it and apply it. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
has not overcome it. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know who John is talking about here. But you may not understand the depth and the significance of John's language. If you're new to the Bible, you probably have no idea what John is talking about. It it might even sound a little bit like gibberish to you. I've had new Christians ask me um, what book of the Bible they should read first, and oftentimes, well, typically I send them to a gospel, and oftentimes I send them to the gospel of John, and I tell them the beginning may not make a lot of sense to you. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Keep reading if it doesn't make sense. The language in, in verses 1 to 5 may seem a little strange to us at first, but John is making some profound points. Points that shape the rest of what he's going to talk about in this book. The theme of the first 18 verses in chapter 1 is the Word. The Word. And John makes it plain in verse 17 and throughout the rest of the gospel that the word is Jesus. I'm not going to labor on that point this morning because it's obvious in verse 17, we're going to see it throughout the, the gospel of John. The word is Jesus. Now, the Greek word that John uses here for the word is the word logos or logos is how we typically say that. And it is a word absolutely loaded with meaning. To the Greeks, this would have conjured up ideas of some kind of a productive power. The logos was the rational order to the universe. Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius described the Logos as a creative force. But more importantly, the word also has a strong Old Testament feel and flavor to it. And that is primarily what John wants us to see. He wants us to see this phrase rooted in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word of God is connected to God's powerful activity in creation. We see it in Genesis 1 when God speaks creation into existence through his word. We also see that the word of God is, or we see the word of God communicating God's revelation. Jeremiah 1.4, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The word of God, it communicates, it reveals something to us from God and about God. There are places, other places in the Old Testament where God heals and he delivers people through his word. Psalm 107.20, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament would see this as a very significant and important term. And John ties the word to Jesus. There are four things about Jesus I want you to see in this passage. Four big things that I, I think John is telling us about Jesus. And then at the end, I have one sweeping application in light of these four things. Number one, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. John begins by saying, in the beginning was the word. This takes us, I already mentioned, all the way back to Genesis 1. And it actually takes us back to before anything in the universe was created. 
Before anything was, King Jesus was. Jesus existed before anything else in the universe existed. There has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. When talking to some Jews in John 8, 58, Jesus said, even before Abraham, thousands of years before, even before Abraham, I am. Another term loaded with significance that we'll see when we get to John 8. Friends, if, if Jesus is eternal, which is the claim that John is making here, then that means that Jesus can't just be a good moral teacher. He can't just be a nice figure in history that we learn some good moral lessons from. He can't just be a prophet who simply reveals to us truth about God. He's, he has to be much more than that. Did you know that Islam actually teaches that Jesus was a prophet? Born of the, of the Virgin Mary. Islam teaches that Jesus performed miracles. Perhaps even more interesting is there are, there are three passages in the Quran where Jesus is referred to as the Word. I've actually heard stories of people using those passages and God, or people presenting those and God using that to convert um, Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. But while Muslims and secular humanists alike can respect Jesus, they could never acknowledge him to be eternal and uncreated. Because the moment you do that, the moment that you acknowledge that Jesus is eternal, you have to deal with the implications of that reality. And those implications make people really uncomfortable, hostile even. John spells it out for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Friends, if Jesus is eternal and uncreated, then he must be divine. And John is pointing that out here. And really, that word is not strong enough. Divine is not strong enough to describe what John is saying. Jesus isn't simply divine. He isn't simply God-like. Jesus is God. That's the second thing you, could, you should see in this passage. Jesus is God. Now, John's language is absolutely masterful here. It's a, it's a little bit difficult to appreciate in English, but it's so precise in the Greek. I'm not going to bore you with that, but it's so precise. John is saying that Jesus is God, but at the same time, he's saying that Jesus is distinct from God. So right in the first verse of John's gospel, we see um, indications of the triune nature of God. The word was with God. So Jesus distinct from the Father, but at the same time, the word was God. Jesus is God. The Chalcedonian Creed of 451 describes Jesus as truly God and truly man. So there have been quite a few times in my life where I've been enjoying a breakfast on a Saturday morning, typically uh, two eggs over easy, a couple pieces of toast, coffee, enjoying breakfast on a Saturday morning, and I hear a knock at the door. And I go up, and I open the door, and a couple of very nice-looking people are outside, 
and they hand me a magazine called The Watchtower. And they want to talk to me about Jehovah and see where I stand. They are Jehovah's Witnesses. And while I'm sure that um, these people mean well, and maybe it's happened to you before, um, they're gravely mistaken with their message. Their message is fraught with problems. But the, I would say the chief problem is they have a faulty translation of the Bible that misrepresents the grammar of John 1.1. 1, 1. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he is created and inferior to God. Moreover, they deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. They make the same mistake of the Arians way back in the 4th century. So this, this, what we see here, and maybe we take for granted the fact that Jesus is God, there are, and it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses, there are many cults and sects all around us that deny what John's saying. As a side note, I don't, I don't recommend engaging, when Jehovah's, engaging with Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to your door. I've tried that, and they just show up with more next time. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't say that in like a, a rude way, but they just typically bring more. And um, instead, what you can do is ask to, to pray for them. Pray for them. Tell them that you believe that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. And you can tell them that they can receive new and eternal life by turning from their sin and trusting in Christ for their salvation. But try, try to avoid getting in a debate when they're right at your front door. It's generally, uh, generally it's not going to be helpful. Um, but it's not, it's not just the Jehovah's Witnesses that have a problem with the deity of Jesus. Everyone who rejects Christianity fundamentally rejects this claim. People are typically okay with Jesus. They're cool with Jesus until you start telling them that he was... He's more than a prophet, or he's more than a good moral teacher. You say that Jesus is God, and the proverbial music stops, and everyone looks at you. Do you really mean that, what you're saying? You can talk about Jesus all you want until you say that he actually is, is God. And while Jesus never uses the words, I am God, again and again and again, Deity is ascribed to him. We see it right in the beginning, John 1, 1. Hebrews 1, 3 puts it this way. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You're going to see as we look at John's gospel that Jesus makes it abundantly clear he is claiming to be God. And those who deny this fact are just closing their eyes and plugging their ears. Now, Christian, have you ever asked yourself, why does it really matter that Jesus was God? We believe that, I've heard it, but why does it really matter that Jesus is God? Bible says it over and over again, it's pretty clear. Why does it matter? Christians for centuries have been willing to give their lives for this truth. But why is it that it matters? 
Friends, the full deity of the eternal one, Jesus Christ, is pivotal when it comes to our salvation. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no new life and reconciliation with God the Father if Jesus isn't God. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For in him, Jesus, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The full deity is necessary for the reconciliation that comes through Jesus' shed blood. Brothers and sisters, because we are the ones who have sinned, we are the ones who have broken God's commands as human beings, a fellow human being must pay the punishment. That's Jesus' humanity. But only God himself could bear the punishment. Jesus, truly God and truly man, is the only one who could bring a sacrifice of infinite worth and satisfy the just wrath of God. But in his love for us, that is exactly what God did. He sent Jesus for us. Jesus willingly offered himself on the cross. This wasn't some form of divine child abuse, as critics have said. It's not what was happening here. Jesus says in John 10, 18, no one takes, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Oh, how I hope, if you are a Christian, this stirs your heart to worship our God. Jesus laid down his life for all who would trust in him. Jesus rose from the dead, demonstrating his, his deity and showing that we might have new life in him. If you're not a Christian, know that by turning to Jesus and trusting in him for forgiveness from your sin, you too can have new life. You know, maybe, maybe there's someone here today who has heard what I just said or something like it your entire life. People have constantly been, been telling you about what Jesus offers the new life that is found in him, but you have consistently rejected it. I just want to encourage you, take serious and wrestle with the claims of the Bible. Don't just hear what's being said today or, or think about everything that you've heard and just kind of push it off to the side. What if what John says about Jesus, what if what Jesus says about Jesus is actually true. How would that change your life and your eternity? Look with me again at verse 3. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here, John is showing us that Jesus is the agent of creation. That's point three. Jesus is the agent of creation. John has already invoked the creation account for us. I've mentioned that a couple times. And here he presses even further into it. Here John is showing us that Jesus was the word through whom God made the world. 
Again, Colossians 1 makes it even clearer. Even clearer. This time, verse 16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Do you realize or did you realize that Jesus is so prominent in Genesis 1? He doesn't just come on the scene in the New Testament. We see him on the very first page of Scripture. Now, if we only think about Jesus as the agent of creation, when it comes to the Genesis account, we are, we're missing something. So in some ways, that point needs further explanation, which I'm, I'm going to do now. You see, Jesus isn't just the agent of creation. He's also the agent who restores creation to the way it was intended to be. So much of Jesus's ministry was about healing the sick and the lame and even raising the dead to life. We get a glimpse into what the new creation will be like when we look at the miracles of Jesus. No more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death and destruction. Oh, how we long for that day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is making all things new. Your pain and your suffering, our pain and our suffering, will come to an end. And I I don't just mean physical pain and suffering. Jesus will heal our deepest wounds, our deepest emotional wounds, our deepest pain. And when the gospel takes root, he begins to do that even now. And many of us can testify to that reality. Jesus frees us from our most profound pains. Jesus is the one for whom the world was created, and he is the one through whom the world will be restored. Finally, John shows us here that Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the victor. Verses four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice the present tense language that John uses. The light shines in the darkness. Not was shining or will shine. The light shines in the darkness. Here we see Right in in verse 4 and 5, language that's going to be used over and over and over again in John's gospel. Life and eternal life are everywhere. Light and darkness will come up again and again. And John here, he, he uses darkness as a metaphor for evil and light for good. Later on in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Church, here... Here's what John is driving at simply, or he's driving at simply and beautifully. It's that the darkness will not prevail over Jesus. The darkness will not prevail over Jesus. He is victorious. And while it may seem at times like darkness is prevailing over us, it will not. Sin and temptation will ensnare us from time to time. Shame and condemnation will come knocking after. 
But when we belong to Christ, when, we, when he is our savior, the one in whom we trust for salvation, the one whom we submit our entire lives to, if this is true of us, then his triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. Amen. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sin and darkness no longer have any claim on God's people. No claim on us. We are dead to sin because Jesus has freed us from its power. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. His resurrection is our resurrection. Christian, do you believe that? The only other place in the Bible where John uses the phrase, the word of God, this is very interesting, is in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, a powerful picture of Jesus as victorious. I'm just gonna read a, a quick excerpt there. Revelation 19, 11 to 13. Hear this. John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The victorious one, the Word of God, is King Jesus. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1, and especially the first, the first five verses that we looked at, lay the foundation for the entire gospel. Who is Jesus? He is the word of God, which means that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God, distinct from God, but God nonetheless. Jesus is the agent in creation, and he is making all things new. He's the agent in recreation, if you will. And Jesus is the victor. To believe in anything else, friends, hear this, to believe in anything else is to believe in a different Jesus. Indeed, a false Jesus. Jesus can't just be a good moral teacher. He can't just be a prophet or an example we should follow. If these things are true that we looked at today, if these things are true that John tells us, then he is so much more. And because of this, because this is true, Jesus is worthy of all our love and affection. He's worthy of all our devotion. He's worthy of our complete submission and obedience. We owe him our lives. Not in the sense that we have to pay him back. We could never do that. We could never pay Jesus back for what he's done for us. But we owe him in the sense that his majesty and his glory compels us to offer ourselves to him. I said at the beginning of the sermon that I have one sweeping application in light of everything that's here. So, in light 
of everything we've looked at this morning. Here's the sweeping application. You ready? Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. And we will continue to unpack that as we see Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, We're now at the point in our worship where we are going to take communion. And brothers and sisters, as we take communion today, may we savor all that we have in Jesus. Remember Remember his broken body and his shed blood for you. Remember the salvation that you have in Christ by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn Jesus's love and favor. Be spiritually fed by faith as you eat this meal. Remember, remember that Jesus is coming back. He won't leave us as orphans. He is coming back for us. If you are a believer in the Jesus Christ that was preached today, then this meal is open for you. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you, take this time to think about everything you've heard today. Your life and your eternity have potential to change this morning and change for the better. Communion will be served at two stations up here at the front. And as you feel led, you can make your way forward, um, receive the juice and the bread, and then make your way back to, the seat, to your seat. I'll come up later uh, and lead us as we uh, take the elements together. So let's pray, and then we are going to continue in our worship. Oh, Father, my prayer is that we will be worshipers of you. Of you and your triune nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. Make us people who worship you with our whole lives. Father, don't let us hold anything back. Don't let us try to seek solace in any hidden sin. Expose it. Expose it and bring us. Bring us to you. Father, in our our heart of hearts, I believe that all of us who are in Christ want to worship. So that, I just repeat what I said. Make us worshipers of you. Be with us now as we continue to worship. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.